Races Reconciled. Uh, what an awesome, awesome way for us to finish this series. If you haven't been with us through How to Neighbor, we've talked about a few, I think, really important things over the past few weeks. We've talked about empowering the poor. We've talked about loving the lonely. Uh, last week, we talked about embracing orphans. Such such great, important topics. Um, but, but of all of them that, uh, that were in this series, the one that I look forward to most is today. That's why I saved it for last. Um, I am so passionate about this topic. I'm so excited to get to speak on this. This is something that is so close to my heart, but more importantly, I believe this is something that is close to God's heart. Uh, I believe this is something that is on his agenda, and we want to be on his agenda as we get ready to talk about race. And of course, in this conversation, we'll talk a little bit about racism um, I have to say I'm a little bit nervous because while I'm passionate about this topic, I recognize very clearly that my perspective is limited. You may or may not have noticed this about me, but I'm white. Uh, and, and so uh, I can only speak to my experience and my perspective, and I recognize very much up front that the way I see things may not be the way that everyone here sees things. I have very, very little experience being mistreated because of my race. In fact, the, the best that I can do to even begin to talk about being mistreated because of my race is, is two things that have happened that may or, are kind of tangential. The, the first is when my family moved to North Carolina. We were, uh, I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school when we moved from Seattle, Washington uh, to, to small town North Carolina. And when we moved, uh, I dressed in a certain way, uh, indicative of the fact that I was from the inner city in Seattle. And uh, as I dressed the way, because that's how all my friends dressed, and that's all that I knew. And I got to small town North Carolina, found out very quickly that people down there didn't dress like I did. Um, and, and people immediately made an assumption about me, and there they had this term that they call gray. And that gray person in North Carolina is someone who likes people of the other race. Uh, and, and so for me, they thought I was gray, which to them, that was the greatest insult they could come up with. There was nothing worse than being a white dude who liked black girls. Uh, and, and so I quickly discovered a kind of racism that I really wasn't familiar with from the part of the country that I grew up in. Um, the other thing that I can speak to is just a a very small and very insignificant way uh, of experiencing a little bit of what maybe some minorities have experienced is growing up in Seattle where it was much more diverse. Uh, there, there was a point in time where uh, my father was specifically passed over for a job and he knew it because he was white and they were looking to staff diversity. And so things like that can begin to plant seeds of anger, seeds of bitterness, Seeds of hatred, seeds of racism. Uh, I don't say that to say, man, feel sorry for me or look how rough I've had it because I know that I've had a lot of privilege uh, just because of the nature of the race that I was born into. Uh, but I've had just little snippets of perhaps what it is like to be discriminated against. Um, and, and I know uh, people who have worked in jobs where they say, you know what, it's a good thing that I'm white because I, that I work here because they will not hire somebody of another color. That's right here in Memphis that I've had that said. And so this is still an issue. A lot of times as white people, we like to say things like, well, racism was 150 years ago. Let's get over it. Slavery was 150 years ago. Uh, and while, yes, slavery was 150 years ago, that doesn't mean that we've completely moved on and moved past racism. And so today we're going to unpack this a little bit. Um, this may or may not be a comfortable conversation for you. This may or may not be your favorite thing that I've ever 
talked about. Um, let me say this. Uh, I love this church. Uh, th- this is not me standing up here because I look out into our congregation and see a bunch of racists. And I'm trying to challenge you and tell you that you're terrible people and you need to get right with God. Uh, th- this is me declaring together that there's probably some more progress each of us can make. That there's probably some stuff inside of each of our hearts, no matter what our color is, uh, that, that is maybe not completely reflective of God and his heart towards unity and towards people. And let's evaluate that together. Let's move forward in this process together. We've based this series on a few passages from Luke chapter 10 on a conversation that Jesus had uh, with, with a teacher of the law who asked him what's the greatest commandment. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then this teacher in the law trying to trap Jesus or trying to, to separate himself from as many people as possible says, well, then who is my neighbor? Sure, I know that I'm supposed to love some people. Sure, I know that there's some neighbors, but let's limit that as much as we can. Let's narrow that down. What's the radius? How many blocks do I have to love people, right? Like, what, what is my neighbor? And Jesus doesn't de- respond by defining who is his neighbor, but he responds by telling him how to neighbor. In other words, Jesus makes the assumption that anyone we come in contact with is our neighbor. That anybody that we bump into, whether they listen to the same music we do, whether they're from the same neighborhood we're from or went to the same school that we did or not, whether they look like us or not, whether they use the same kind of slang that we use or not, whether they dress like we do or not, whether they speak the same language we do or not, that those people are our neighbors. And he begins to teach him how to neighbor. Uh, And so we'll jump into Luke chapter 10 and verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. So he tells this story, the story we're all familiar with, known as the good Samaritan. It says a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, what'd he do? Pass by on the other side. He didn't have time to deal with it. He wasn't ready to help this man out. Verse 32, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by to the other side. So in other words, they are crossing the road to get away from the person who was in need. Uh, After we talked about this in week one, one of our church uh, members came to me and he said, you know what? Uh, It's like you can't neighbor from the other side of the road. Oh, what a great statement. We can't neighbor from the other side of the road, right? Like in order to neighbor, this means we have to get close to the people we're called to neighbor. And so many times we, we try and resist and try to distance ourselves from somebody who isn't like us. And then verse 33, Jesus says these, these words that would have been so shocking to his audience, so offensive to his audience. He sets up the priest and the Levite, these These people who are pillars of the Jewish community, these people that are looked up to, and they do it wrong, and now he's going to use a positive example, and he says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. As we get into this, as we unpack this story, you've got to understand what's going on with, with the Jews 
and the Samaritans. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans had 700 years of hate between them. We think America's in a bad place because we've got a history of about 400 years since slavery first came to the U.S., maybe 450. Well, the Jews and the Samaritans had 700 years of hate that was passed down generation to generation to generation. How did it start? Well, about 700 years before, uh, Israel had been invaded and they'd been taken off into captivity. In fact, Judah had the, the southern part of the kingdom and they'd taken off into captivity. And when they were, some of them got left behind and the ones who were left behind in a particular area started to intermingle and mix with other people, with other colors, with people who served, in this case, other religions, other faiths. And so they intermarried and they had mixed children or half-breeds, as, as they would have looked at them, as they would have looked down on them. Now, I think mixed kids are awesome, and I think that they're created in the image of God, but, but they had an issue with these people who were mixed. Uh, and so the Jews thought the Samaritans were, were less than them because they were mixed, and the Samaritans hated the Jews because, hey, you hate me? I'm going to hate you back, right? Isn't that kind of how things often go, that, that somebody hurts us, so we're going to hurt them in Response And so for 700 years, this hatred, this racism, this, this anger at someone who was different than them, who, who came from a different nation than them, who had a different ethnicity than them, was passed down and just began to embitter over and over and over again. And so here's this Samaritan, this person who's supposed to hate the Jews, who's not supposed to talk to the Jews, who's probably hated by the Jew, and he sees this person in need, and he says, I don't care about that history. I don't care about what has been done. I don't care about what your daddy did to my daddy. I don't care about how we've been hurt. Here's somebody who's in need. I'm going to love you. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to minister to you. It's a powerful, powerful thing. One of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s most famous sermons is actually on this story of the Good Samaritan, and his message was probably much better on this than mine, one of the greatest communicators the world has ever seen. But I want to share with you just one quote from his message that I think is so powerful. He said this. He said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the Good Samaritan reversed the question. He said, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? It's the essence of selflessness, right? Like all of us have an innate selflessness where we ask, okay, if I do this, what's, what's going to happen to me? How am I going to be treated? How is this person going to react to me? But his Samaritan moved beyond his selfish nature, beyond his sin nature and said, if I don't help him, what will happen to him? And he was moved in compassion to do something to fix the situation. I believe this is the heart of gospel-loving, Christ-centered people. I believe this is who God has called us to be, not us as city church, but us as Christians. If you call yourself by the name of Jesus, I believe we are supposed to be moved by what is greater for others than what is great for myself, right? This is, this is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so the Samaritan models this. He pushes beyond his selfishness, and he gets into this person's world, the Comedian Dennis Leary has a quote, which I thought was interesting, about racism. He says, racism isn't born, folks, it's taught. 
I have a two-year-old son. You know what he hates? Naps. Uh, as the father of a son who turns two years old in two weeks, I can identify. My son hates naps. He did not take one yesterday. We're still in a fight about this. We're working through it. Pray for us. Uh, but, but he doesn't, as far as we know, we've not seen any indication that he's got issues with somebody who looks a certain way, but he don't like to go to bed. Uh, we're working on it. Pray for us, for real. Uh, there's not a racist gene. Racism is not something I believe that we are born with other than we are born with the sin nature, Uh, but it is something that's caught, it's something that's taught, it's something that's learned. So so if it's not born in us, where does racism come from? Well, I think there's three things that, that, that sources of racism. Before I get to this, let me just say this. I think a lot of times we misassociate racism, even in that Dennis Leary quote, which I like because it talked about the two-year-old not taking naps, but he talked about what? He talked about hate. Let's set aside hate because I think it's really easy to say, I'm not racist. I don't hate anybody, right? It's really easy to say that. I don't think racism is simply hating somebody of another color. I think all of us would agree anybody who hates somebody because they're another color, that's an issue. But I think racism can be much more subtle than that. I think racism can be preferring someone of one color to another. It's just more comfortable. It's easier to be around them. I, I, I get them better, right? It's favoritism more so than it's flat out hatred. And I think if we can define it that way, we'll see there's probably maybe a little bit more of this in us, in me, than, than we'd like to admit. Because it's really easy for us to say, well, I'm not racist. I don't need to hear this message. Uh, but, but I think probably all of us have some favoritism inside of us. In fact, a, a few weeks ago, um, after everything happened in, in Baton Rouge and then Minneapolis and Dallas and all this stuff was breaking loose, um, we, we had a, a prayer meeting on Saturday morning. We invited Spirit Church, uh, our, our friends from there who a lot of them don't look like us. Uh, and we, we had some unity as we pursued God together. We had different stations around the building where we could pray for different areas and different things. And, and one of the stations, in fact, the one station I told everybody here I want you to go to was a statement to repent of my racism, to repent of, of my issues, to repent of my dislike for somebody who isn't like me, because I think all of us have some of this in us. It doesn't mean that we're all terrible people. It doesn't mean that we're all awful, hate-filled bigots. It, it means that we're not completely like Jesus, right? We've still got some stuff in us that doesn't look like our Savior. So, so where does it come from? How do we have this in us? Number one, I believe that racism is learned. We talked about it in the, the incident of the Jews and the Samaritans, right? Well, you don't like me, so I don't like you. Somebody mistreated me. Somebody mistreated my mama, my, my, this person that I care about because of her color. And so because you mistreated them, well, I, I'm going to mistreat you back. And, and so we make judgments and, and we generalize and we decide that because somebody treated us this way, we're going to have an issue or a distrust of everyone of that skin color. I don't trust them. I don't like them. They don't like me. It's learned. Number two, it's taught, or in many cases, it's caught. So in some cases, it's taught, and straight up from parents to the the next generation. This is the stereotype of Mississippi, right? I think the part of Mississippi we're in is a lot better than the stereotype, but it's it's passed down. We don't like them because of this. Man, we we don't talk to them. We don't go to that neighborhood. Uh, We we speak in hushed tones when we talk about them. This is when I say caught, because you may not teach your kid, okay, don't like black people, but if every time you refer to somebody as black, you say it, they're black. What are you teaching your kid? What is your kid catching, right? Like, like you're referring to them. You're distancing yourself from them. You're treating them as other, 
as different. Rather than brothers and sisters in Christ, we're separating ourselves. And so it's taught or it's caught. Number three, I think it just comes straight up from ignorance. And again, I think ignorance a lot of times is kind of an offensive term. Well, I'm not ignorant. Ignorance is simply lack of knowledge, right? Ignorance is simply just not knowing. And so uh, if we're not around people of other races, and this applies to any of us, if we're not around people of other races, we're, we're going to start to build generalizations on the limited experiences that we have. My mom grew up in a part of the country, and you may have grown up in a similar part of the country. My mom never saw a black person unless she was on vacation. They just did not exist where she lived. And so she had a very small number of experiences with African Americans to build her conceptions on, and so did the people she grew up around. And so there was a lot of ignorance passed down. Didn't mean my mom was a hateful person, but she had very limited experiences from where she grew up. So the, the bottom line for this today that I think all of us need to just burn into our soul, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, mixed, uh, whatever we look like, whatever our nationality might be, this is what I want us to take from this, is that racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. If you're taking notes, man, write it down. Racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. And when I say sin, again, it's not just hatred. It's, it, it, it's me preferring something to something else. It's me not recognizing that Jesus loves this group just as much as he loves this group, that Jesus died for this group just as much as he died for that group, that, that Jesus is calling all of us to be one. Racism is not a skin issue. It's a sin issue. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this in his letter in James chapter 2. He says, he's referring to this, this passage in Luke 10 we just talked about. He said, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing it right. And then verse 9, he says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. He doesn't say, but if you show hatred, then you're a sinner. He says, if you show favoritism, if you like this group more than that group, if you're comfortable here more than there, and I know that's natural and it's normal, he's calling us to push past that. He's calling us to push beyond favoritism, push beyond preferring one to another. What is favoritism? According to scripture, it's sin. It is a sin issue. And there's a lot of us that probably have some of that in our heart this morning. Um, it's because I like you because you look like me. I don't trust you because you don't look like me. You don't talk like me. You don't dress like me. You don't eat at the same places that I eat. You don't eat the same foods that I eat, right? Like we, we draw all these differences and we decide I'm going to let my kids play with these people because I'm comfortable with them. They're normal to me. I understand them, but they're not going to play with these kids. Anytime we respond like that, God's word is clear. It's a sin issue, not a skin issue. We've got to call it what it is. We've got to name it exactly what it is. Uh, it's not right before God. It should not be right before us. So, that, so this raises the big question that we've been wrestling with this, ser this series as Jesus followers. How are we called to love our neighbors? How are we called to neighbor? How are we called to love those who don't look like us, who didn't come from the same gene pool as we came from? Well, I, I don't think I have all the answers. Again, I have a limited perspective on this, but I want to at least throw three things out that I think God is calling us to as, as Christ followers, as, as Christians, as city church today. Th three things on how we can neighbor those 
different from us. The, the first we've maybe hit on a little bit already, but I want to make sure it's explicit. Number one, we have to recognize our own prejudices. I must recognize my prejudices. Um, and it's really easy to say I'm not racist, but you might be prejudiced. What is prejudice? Prejudice defined is prejudging. It's a preconceived opinion that is not based on reason or fact. A preconceived opinion. I bet most of us, if we were really honest, we grew up with some kind of prejudices. Maybe they weren't skin prejudices, but they're prejudice of some kind. We had prejudice in my family against people on welfare. Man, well, people on welfare are lazy, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and, and, we, and we were taught, and I love my parents, and my parents are awesome, but this is something we grew up with, that, that we were going to have some issues with people who, who were helped by the government. Uh, that kind of backfired on us when we got to a place where my dad lost his job, and we were the ones who showed up at a food bank. Um, all of a sudden, we had a different perspective on people in need. Uh, but that was a prejudice we had for a long time. Uh, maybe you grew up on the opposite side. Maybe you grew up thinking rich people are snobs. Rich people are selfish. Maybe you grew up thinking that younger people just don't want to work. Maybe you didn't grow up that way. Maybe you grew up to think that way. Uh, maybe you grew up thinking heavy people are lazy or pastors are crooks or old people are out of touch. White men can't jump. I don't know. We have prejudices, right? Uh, we have things that we think we assume about people. Sometimes they're true. Uh, this white man can't jump. But... Uh, Sometimes they're not. Um, if you ever use the phrase, I'm not racist, but, there's nothing good that comes behind that phrase, right? If you start any statement out with, I'm not racist, but, the next statement's probably going to be a racist statement. Uh, it's probably going to be something that, that says something about your heart, about your prejudices. Or, or if you ever say, I'm not racist, I got a black friend. I have a Mexican friend. I, ha I have this friend over here, right? Or I've got three friends. I love these people, right? Like, we, we, we can't reduce racism to just being total segregation. I don't speak to anybody of the other race. That makes it really easy to say I'm not racist. Uh, we've got to recognize that racism can be much more subtle than that and much more prevalent in our life than that. Uh, so the first thing we're going to do is, is we're going to recognize our own prejudices, and along with that, we're going to repent, of our own prejudices. And, and when I call you to repent, I'm, I'm not calling like, man, you're a terrible person and you're going to hell. I'm just saying, God, here's an area of my life that isn't reflective of your son. Here's an area of your life that, that doesn't measure up to who you've called me to be. Forgive me. And a lot of times, man, repentance isn't just a one-time thing. I wish the, the first time that I ever had lust, I could have repented, and that was the last time I ever had lust. didn't work out that way for me. I had to repent of lust many times, right? I, I wish the, the first time that I ever repented of being lazy and not reading my Bible, that, man, I repented of that, and that was done, and I never missed reading my Bible again. didn't work that way for me. I've had to repent of that many times in my life, and, and I think with racial stuff, it's going to be the same way for some of us. Man, this stuff is deep within us. This stuff is stuff that maybe we haven't even recognized in our life. Repenting of it once doesn't necessarily mean it's never going to be an issue again, but it's saying, God, help me to be aware of it. Help me to recognize it and help me to give it to you when this stuff comes up. So, so first, we're going to recognize our prejudices. Number two, we're going to seek to understand others. Seek to understand others. One, one thing that I, I think is so important is, is surrounding ourselves with people who don't have the same background as us, with people who don't come from the same place as us. Um, I, I was this way when I was in Bible college. I came from a very specific theological background. And, and I sought out people who came from some other denominations and some other backgrounds because I wanted to know, why do you guys believe this crazy stuff? And in the process, sometimes I found out, you know what, you guys are right and we're wrong. 
uh, there's something when you seek to understand, it's going to make you better. Um, and when it comes to racial stuff, man, we got to seek to understand. In other words, instead of just standing up and saying, here's what the other race needs to do, here's what's wrong with blank people, um, we just say, you know what, help, help me to understand where you guys are coming from. Because it's, it's amazing in America right now how many things just fall on racial lines. Like if you are white, you think this, and if you're black, you think this. There are so many things that fall on those lines, and most of the time when those things happen, people on either side say, I don't even understand how those people see it this way. So the, the best way we can fix this is just through dialogue. It's through conversation. It's getting to know each other. Go ahead and put up this graphic uh, for me. I don't know how well you guys can see this, but I'll explain it. The pink is, is the average white American. I don't know why they picked pink for us, but that's all right. Uh, the average white American has one black friend, one Latino friend, one Asian friend, one mixed race friend, and one other race friend, three friends of unknown race, where they're just not sure, and 91 white friends. Uh, so, let's put this in another way. The average white person is 91 times more likely to spend time with a white person than with a black person. Average white person in America. Now, some of this is the result of... of Demographics, right? There's more white people. Like I said, my mom grew up in an area where there were no African Americans. It was not an option. Some of you may be from an area like that. It doesn't mean that you're a hateful person or you're a terrible person because you picked your white friends. It's just a, a function of reality. But look at this. The average black American, these are the, those in blue, the average black American has 83 black friends, eight white friends, two Latino friends, zero Asian friends, three mixed race friends, one other race friend, and four friends of unknown race. So if we transfer that over a little bit, the average black person is eight times more likely to spend time with a white person than the average white person is to spend time with a black person. Now again, how does this happen? More white people, right? Like this part uh, of the reality. But, but how do you think it is that the average white American has a hard time understanding the average African American when we got one black friend, right? Like, that's the joke, right? Like, well, I have a black friend, but the truth is, for a lot of us, we have a black friend. Uh, but, but if you dig even deeper into the numbers, this is just averaging. 75% um, of white Americans do not have a single black friend. So it's a lot of white people that got a lot of black friends bringing the average up for the rest of us uh, to one. 75%. Of white Americans do not have a single black friend. 64% of African Americans do not have a single white friend. So again, it's a lot of African Americans bringing the average up for everybody else. How, why don't we understand each other? Because we don't spend time together. How are we ever going to understand each other if all the time we have people over, we're having white people over to our house. And all the time you're having people over, you're having people over that look like you. Or every time you go to somebody's house, you're going to somebody's house that look like you. We're not going to fix this. It's not just going to happen. We've got to be intentional about it. We've got to seek to understand each other. And seeking to understand each other isn't just every time there's another racial controversy in the news, going to your one black friend and asking them their opinion about it. Uh, that, that, that's putting that black friend in, a, in an awkward position a lot of times. They've got to speak for the whole black race. Uh, that, that, that's a hard thing to put on somebody. Uh, it, it's actually just doing life together. Man, not, not just when it's controversial, not just when it's in the news, not just when it's prevalent on our mind. It's saying, you know what? I can make you better and you can make me better. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. So let's sharpen each other. Man, let, let's get a little bit more like Jesus because, man, there's probably some stuff from my background that I get that you don't get. And there's some stuff from your background that you get that, or that, that you get that I don't get. So let's share. 
Let's get better together. Let's be intentional about this. This research, by the way, is from a group called the Public Religion Research Institute. Um, and, and they have a ton of just really interesting information in there. This happens for two reasons. One we already talked about, um, it, it's that th there's more white folks. The, the second thing is, is the thing called sorting, where, where whether we tend to hang with people who are like us, politically. Uh, in fact, America is getting more and more politically sorted, where people move to neighborhoods that, that are like them politically, where this county, uh, the, the amount of blowout counties in America is skyrocketing, where, man, this county voted 90% Democrat, and this county voted 90% Republican. Like, we're grouping around people who think like us. We're grouping around people who look like us. We're grouping around people who are like us. It's natural and it's normal, but that doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean it's what's best for God's people. It doesn't mean what God has called us to. I believe that God celebrates diversity. Proverbs 4, 7 says this, says the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. I'm not saying it's not going to cost you some things. I'm not saying it's not going to be uncomfortable at times. But we're never going to make the progress God is calling us to make if we don't get understanding. So number one, we are going, uh, I just blanked out on my number one point, right? Number one, we are going to recognize our prejudices. Number two, we're going to seek to understand. And number three, we're going to love those different from us. That's really what it boils down to. We're going to love those different from us. Back in 1996, a very famous story happened. There were a group of KKK members who were protesting at a rally in Michigan. They, they, they had their things set up. Uh, and, and this story caught my eye because uh, there was a time back in 2008 uh, where City Church, no, excuse me, this was, 2000, yeah, 2008, we, were, we met at a place called Whispering Woods Conference Center. We were doing set up and tear, tear down right over here. Jimmy's laughing because he knows what I'm going with this. Um, so we used to have our services there for just a few months. Uh, and we've got this heart, right? We're going to be a church that looks like heaven. We're going to be a church of diversity. We didn't have it. We weren't as far along then as we were now. We still had a long way to go. We still got a long way to go, but we were really white. Um, but we, we knew we wanted to be diverse. And so we're meeting at this place. Uh, and as we're meeting there, everything hits the news in Memphis that Whispering Woods is hosting a KKK convention. Uh, and we're like, okay, uh, this is where God put us. And now they're having KKK. So that was our last week there. We didn't have another service there. We're like, we got to distance ourselves from this. Uh, City Church got a crazy history, man. If I had time to sit down and tell you some of the stuff we've been through, uh, God's up to something. The fact this church is alive, God is up to something. Um, so this KKK convention. So the KKK still meets. We can verify that. We can account for that. Um, so in 1996 in Michigan, the KKK had this rally, um, and, and there was counter-protesters that, that stepped up to protest the KKK. And so police separated them. Different sides of the road. KKK is over here. Those protesting the KKK are over here. And then somebody made his way across the street. One of the KKK protesters came over to talk smack or stir up trouble or, or for whatever reason infiltrated the other side. And they saw this man. And people began to yell, kill the Nazi. Kill the skinhead. Uh, and the crowd started beating him. And there was an 18-year-old girl named Keisha Thomas. African-American girl, Christian, who threw herself on top of the man's body to save his life. In fact, it's a very famous image. If you go ahead and put this up, this is Keisha Thomas saving the life of someone who probably would have taken hers. 
What inspires somebody to do that? What inspires somebody to, to, to risk their own life to protect somebody else who hates them? Nothing but the love of Jesus. Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth to die for a bunch of people who didn't care anything about him, who were far from him, who were distant from him. This is a Christ-like act. I'm going to put myself out there for someone who does not love me. It's a beautiful act. It's an incredible act. It's such a, a, a redemptive act. She put herself in physical risk to protect this man who would have not have done the same for her. Uh, here's what she said afterwards as she was interviewed. She said, I knew what it was like to be hurt. The many times that that has happened to me, I wish someone would have stood up for me. I know what it's like to be mistreated. I know what it's like to be the only one. I know what it's like to be hated because of, because of something about my external appearance, and I wasn't going to let that happen. To him, what'd she do? She crossed the street to protect somebody different from her. That's what God's calling us to do. Man, even to love those who don't love us. But many times we can come back and say, well, this group doesn't like me. This group doesn't do this for me. This group, whatever. And it may be true. Love them anyway. God is calling us to love like he loves. We're never going to make progress if we just simply return the hate. We're never going to make progress if we return the prejudice. We're never going to make progress if we simply return what someone does to us. We've got to take the first step. Keisha has now been given a platform to speak on racial reconciliation. I think a very well-deserved one. I think she earned it. Here's something she said fairly recently as she was interviewed about this. She said, the biggest thing you can do is just be kind to another human being. It can come down to eye contact or a smile. It doesn't have to be a huge monumental act. Most of us are never going to be in the position to save the life of somebody from another race, right? Most of us are probably never going to be there when a group decides we're going to kill this person because they see things differently than we do. We're probably never going to have that opportunity that Keisha had. But we do have the opportunity to make eye contact, to smile, to reach out, to be intentional, to have somebody over. We've got the opportunity to neighbor. See, I believe racism isn't just the presence of hatred. Ultimately, racism is the absence of love. That's really what racism is. It's, I can't love you because you're different. I can tolerate you. I can maybe work with you. I can maybe even live in the same neighborhood as you, but I can't really love you because you're different. And if we put racism in that perspective, maybe a lot more of us would realize we've got a little more room for improvement. We've got a little more room to be like Jesus. Here's what the word of God says, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. It says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What was Jew and Gentile? It was the biggest racial divide of its time. And God says, when you come in Christ Jesus, you're not Jew and Gentile anymore. You're not this color and that color. You're not this race and that race. You're one. Can I say this? As a pastor of this church that's charged with, with answering for, to God one day for how this church is led, as City Church, you are not black or white. You are not Hispanic or Asian. You're not mixed. You're a Christ follower. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to be colorblind and pretend that everybody looks the same. Like, the first thing you notice about somebody is their race, right? Like, that's... I think God created race as a reflection of his beauty and his diversity. I think race is a good thing. We're going to celebrate that. But ultimately, while we may look different and have different backgrounds, we're one. We worship the same God. We spend eternity in the same place. 
we're one. God loves Asian Americans and African Americans and Latin Americans and Native Americans. He even loves Caucasian Americans. Praise God. He even loves people who don't love football. Even though I don't understand you, I still love you. Praise God for football season. Amen. It's here. Some of you, not so much on that one, but that's all right. God loves Cubans and Hondurans and Nigerians and Jamaicans and Koreans and Malaysians and French and Canadians and Pakistanians and Iranians, Croatians, Russians. He loves them all. He loves them all. Jesus died for them all. God created everyone. Heaven will be incredibly, wonderfully diverse. I referred to this earlier, but I think it's so important. I want to show it to you on the screen. Revelation 7, 9, and 10. This is the view picture of heaven and we have this vision to look like this this is the part of the vision of city church that we would look like heaven from this verse it says there before me was a great multitude that no one could count there are gonna be a lot of people in heaven praise god as city church grows some people might get a little less comfortable because i don't know everybody anymore and it's not as easy if you get uncomfortable because the church grows you're gonna be real uncomfortable in heaven i'm just letting you know there's gonna be a lot of folks in heaven praise god aren't you glad there's gonna be a lot of people in heaven it's the way it's supposed to be no one can count from where? From every nation. Everybody say every nation. Every say every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the Lamb and before the throne. And they cried out in a loud voice. This multitude that looked so diverse cried out in a loud voice Salvation belongs to who? To our God. Not the white God and the black God, not the Hispanic God, not the Asian God, to our God. We're together in this. He's the same God for me as he is for you. He's the same God for this neighborhood as he is for that neighborhood. He's the same God for this continent as he is for that continent. He's the same God for this language as he is for that language. He's our God. He's a God of diversity. He's a God who loves us all, who died for us all. Romans 10, 12, last verse for you today. It says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. No difference between black and white. No difference between Hispanic and Asian. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Aren't you glad that's the God we serve? Aren't you glad we serve a God who's bigger than color? We serve a God who's bigger than neighborhood, who serve a God who's bigger than socioeconomic status, who's bigger than political party, who's bigger than all the stuff we let divide us. He's bigger than all that, and he's bidding all of us to come in and be one together And city church. We're going to do this. We're not going to always get it right. We're going to miss some things. We're going to get some things wrong. But we're going to pursue God's best at this church. I am going to pursue God's best. I'm going to pursue setting aside my prejudices and whatever junk may still be in me. I'm going to ask God to reveal it to me. I'm asking him because I believe this matters because it matters to the heart of God. And there's people he's calling us to reach. I believe in 30 years, I'll just say this, and we're going to close with this. Don't even in my notes. This is, this is what I believe. I believe in 30 years, there will not be white churches and black churches. This is the way the country is going. The country is moving desegregated. In 30 years, if you're a white church or a black church, you're going to be a dead church. We will either get this right or we will lose our relevance. We will either get this right or we will cease to exist at some point in time. And maybe you may say, well, it's Mississippi. It might be longer than 30 years. You might be right. But there will be a point in time in the United States when we don't have white churches and black churches anymore. We're just going to have churches. And the sad thing is, is the culture leading it and not the church. And I say we need to flip it. 
I say the church needs to lead desegregation. I say the church needs to model this. I say the church needs to be intentional about getting into each other's life and loving each other because that's how Jesus is. Amen? It's not a sin issue. Excuse me, it's not a skin issue. It is a sin issue. And we're going to deal with the sin, and we're going to get this right. In Jesus' name, let's pray.